Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we're closing out our summer Sabbath series called Rest in Peace. This will be the last installment of, of, our, of our Sabbath series. The first week we focused on how God worked for six days and then God rested on the seventh day. But that first Sabbath was actually the first full day for man. That was the first full day of man's existence. And so God invited us to rest first and then work. Um, it's, it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you earned it. Sabbath was given to you before you even worked one day. In John 14 and 27, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And so on the Sabbath, we get to trade our troubles for his peace. And then I told you the second week that there are seven recorded miracles that Christ performed on the Sabbath. We looked at the time when Jesus healed the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. This lame man had to want to be healed. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? He had to want to be healed in order for Jesus to heal him. You must want peace in order to find peace. I told you, don't be a victim of your circumstances. Don't let what's happened to you in the past dictate who you are now. You must want to be healed. And then last week we looked at a particularly busy Sabbath for Jesus. Jesus was ministering in a synagogue in a small seaside town of Capernaum. And there Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He then healed Peter's mother-in-law. But the rest of the town waited until the Sabbath was over before they would bring the sick and the oppressed. They didn't want to break the rules of Sabbath. They were more worried about their reputation than they were their restoration. So don't let arrogance, don't let pride, don't let a sense of unworthiness keep you from Sabbath rest. Don't let it keep you from the healing that God wants to provide on the Sabbath and the peace that God has for you. Amen? NASA's Hubble telescope is one of humanity's greatest inventions, and it has allowed us to see into the deepest and the darkest areas of the universe. But last year, the Hubble telescope ran into some issues that required it to be put into safe mode due to a failed gyroscope. You see, a gyroscope is used to rotate the telescope and help it lock in on a new target. And at the time of its launch in 1990, the Hubble telescope had cost NASA $1.5 billion, $1.5 billion just to, to design it and to construct it. $1.5 billion just to build the thing. You add to that an annual operating budget of approximately $98 million a year since 1990. $98 million a year, and if, if you figure all that in, you'll quickly realize that NASA cannot afford for this groundbreaking piece of technology not to work. They need this to work. So obviously, this is a big deal. So NASA spent some time scratching their heads, trying to figure out how to fix this complicated piece of machinery, this, this piece of equipment. I can't imagine the frustration that they were facing, sitting around a table, some of the brightest minds on the planet, trying to figure out, how do we fix this? And eventually, NASA decided to do what the rest of us do. When our equipment is not working properly, we shut it down. NASA did the same thing. They turned the telescope off, and they turned it back on, and would you believe it worked? It fixed what the problem was in the Hubble telescope. 
all of these, this money that has been spent, all of the brains that have been working trying to figure this thing out, their simple fix was just to turn it off and turn it back on, and it worked, it fixed the problems. Now, there are, there are a few things more frustrating than when electronics fail you. Can I get an amen? When you're electronic, and we, we, I mean, let's just be honest. I'm not going to preach this morning against electronics, uh, but we live in that, in that digital age right now. And, and so we're so reliant upon our smartphones, our computers, our tablets. That's how we live life. And, and, and it's so frustrating when these things don't work properly. And so you, you, you take, for instance, the internet when it goes down in your house. The only way that we know how to fix it, now I'm talking about most of us in the room, so if you're that one person in here that's brilliant, don't come to me after service and say, no, you would actually fix it like this because I don't care. Um, <laughs> the only way that we know how to fix this thing is to go to the router and unplug it for 10 seconds and then plug it back in. And if you're like me, you actually unplug it and go, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three, because it's your best chance of it, right? Why do we say Mississippi? Because nobody in Mississippi is smart enough to fix that thing, right? But yet we do it anyway. So it's frustrating, isn't it? Recently, my cell phone was locking up. And so just a few weeks ago, and, and so I had to, to turn my cell phone off, let it reboot, turn it back, you know, turn it back on, let it reboot. And, and it started working properly. I tell you that because Sabbath is God's way of shutting us down to be powered back up. This is what God does for us. He allows us the opportunity to shut down so that we can be powered back up and be more productive. So if you feel stuck, locked up, not working properly, let God's Sabbath, let his peace flood your soul today. Let today be that groundbreaking day for you to where you get this. Shut down in order to be powered back up. So in this last installment of our Sabbath series for 2019, I, wanted, I want to teach you the correct greeting to use on Sabbath. Are you ready to learn a little Hebrew today? Shabbat Shalom. Everyone say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat, Shabbat means Sabbath in Hebrew. Shalom means peace. And so when you say Shabbat Shalom to someone, you are wishing them the peace that only Sabbath can bring. So when a Jew says Shabbat Shalom, if they are a practicing Jew, if they have Hebrew blood in them, they know that there is a peace that Sabbath brings that, that only Sabbath can bring. So I want you to take a second, and I actually want everyone in the room to be blessed by this. I want you to look at somebody, look them in their eyes, and today I want you to tell them Shabbat Shalom. Just tell them Shabbat Shalom. Charlie, Shabbat Shalom, my friend. Shabbat Shalom. I'll never forget waking up on the first Saturday that we were in Israel last year. The day before was a day of, of traveling. The day before we traveled by air. Actually, we started off the day driving. Mandy and I left Newberry. We drove near Micanopy and picked up Will and Cherie Coleman. And then we took off to the Jacksonville airport. We get there and, and we fly to New York. We spend some time in New York. And then later that evening, we get on the plane and we fly to Tel, Tel Aviv, Israel. From Tel Aviv, we got on a bus with, with a, a bunch of other people that I did not know at the time. And, and there's about 40 of us total. We get on this big tour bus and we travel south into the desert uh, to a place called Mitzpah Ramon. Mitzpah Ramon. And it is, it, it is a big crater 
in the desert. It, it looks like a small Grand Canyon. It, it's magnificent. And the resort that we were staying at, at actually is built on the side of this crater. It was beautiful. And, and as we were sitting there, uh, um, and, and, and uh, when we first got there that night, we were all tired. We'd been flying and riding, and it, it was like a two-day journey, it felt like. And so we, we, we get to our rooms, and the next morning when we wake up, it was Saturday morning, and I'll never forget, I've got video uh, on my phone of, of the sun rising up over that crater in the desert. And it was just, it was just a beautiful, I actually posted that day and uh, Shabbat Shalom. It was, it, was, it was that day. It was the Sabbath in Israel. And it was this, this, this dream come true for me because our, our friend, he's been here. He was our tour guide that day. And he's a renowned archaeologist by the name of Eli Shukran. Eli walks up to me right before breakfast that morning. And as he walks up to me, he says these words, Shabbat Shalom, Rocky. And it was this dream come true for me. I am in Israel on the Sabbath. And a Hebrew just looked at me and said, the peace of Sabbath be with you. Shabbat Shalom, the peace of Sabbath be with you. And I think I responded with, and also with you which is probably not the way you're supposed to respond. Shabbat Shalom. Why is the Sabbath so peaceful to a practicing Jew? Why is it so peaceful? Because if you find a true practicing Jew, to them there's nothing quite like the Sabbath. And there is a peace that comes with it for them. And it's because Sabbath, they understand this, Sabbath allows you the opportunity to step into eternity. Church, please don't miss this. This is my last opportunity for our Sabbath series this year. And I want to make sure that you walk out of here with a changed mindset. I want you to grab this. I want you to know what they know. Sabbath says, come in to eternity experience timeless experience what it means to be in the same universe as god sabbath says come into eternity and to experience peace you must learn to put your trust in a god that only exists in eternity understand this about eternity eternity isn't something that's going to come that's what we speak of we speak as though eternity is going to come. But understand this, church, eternity is already here. We are living in eternity. Eternity is, isn't going to start. It already is. It has been, and it's going to be. We live in eternity. God exists in eternity, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. So you must understand that God because he exists in eternity, God is never late. You, you need to understand this. God is never late. He's got all the time in the world and beyond. God's never late. And so I want to show you something in Luke chapter 13 this morning. In Luke chapter 13, I'm going to read uh, from this chapter a couple of times. So just leave your Bibles open or your digital devices open. But this is, is another one of those moments. It's a Sabbath healing. It's one of those seven instances where Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. And, and 
I, I want to read verses 10 through 17, and then we'll stop, and then we'll come back in a moment and finish up. But, but it, says, it says this in verse 10. It says, now he, being Jesus, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And not not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the, on the Sabbath day, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably have lived most of your life by chronos time, chronos moments. What I mean by that is calendar time or clock time. You can, you can trace this. You can, you can follow calendar time and clock time. And so if you're like me, I have deadlines, you have deadlines. And, and, and that requires us to look through a lens of chronos moments, chronos time, calendar time, clock time. I have pressing needs in my life. Anybody else have pressing needs in your life this morning? I have pressing needs in my life. When, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, I, I need a miracle now. I don't need a miracle tomorrow. I need a miracle right now in this moment, this day, this hour, this minute, this second, God. I need a miracle right now. God, I needed you to show up yesterday. Now, if you're anything like me, that's where you live your life most of the time. I needed you yesterday, God. Where are you? I need you. Where are you when I need you? I'm reminded of this young woman that she was waiting on her date to arrive. She got all dolled up. She was all pretty, ready for her date to show up. And she waited for an hour and a half for her date to show up. And he never came, never came. So she just thought that she was stood up. So she went, took off her, her nice dress, and she put on some old jogging pants and an old T-shirt. She went to the kitchen, got her a, a big old bowl of, of ice cream. And in a moment of depression, she went and sat down right in front of the TV, and she was just going to binge watch Friends for the rest of the night eating ice cream. That was, that was, no, no sooner than she sat down, the doorbell rang. She went to the door, and sure enough, it was her date. Two hours late, he took one look at the way that she was dressed, and he said, what, what is wrong with you? I'm two hours late, and you're still not ready? <laughs> Do you know somebody that is consistently late? Don't point at them. Please don't point at them. Do you know somebody in your life that is consistently late? I mean, they're late all the time. You can plan on them being late. You know, and so therefore you tell jokes about them. You say things like this. You're going to be late for your own funeral. When there's a party happening at 7 o'clock, you tell them to be there at 6.30 because you know that they're going to be at least 30 minutes late arriving. You know these people. You know who I'm talking about. They're notorious for not being on time. And it's one thing for your imperfect human friend to be late. 
Because with grace, we come to expect that out of them. And so it just becomes part of who they are and, and we just accept it. And that's one thing, but, but it's something entirely different when, when God's late. When you feel like God didn't show up on time. Because it creates this animosity between you and God. Don't act like you've never been there. I've been there. You know what it feels like to, to, to look to the heavens and say, God, what is taking you so long? God, what is wrong with you? God, where are you? In my moment of despair, where are you? We don't seem to have near as much grace for God when he's not showing up. And at first glance in chapter 13 of Luke, this encounter with Jesus seems like this woman was healed instantaneously. A matter of fact, verse 13 tells us that when Jesus laid his hands on her, that she was immediately healed and her back was straightened. So when Jesus laid hands on her, she was healed and, and she goes from being hunched over uh, and, and all of a sudden her back is straightened out. But there is this one key fact that, that we just overlook when reading this. This woman had been dealing with this for 18 years. 18 years. And she was a good practicing Jew. She's at synagogue. She's at church on the Sabbath. Has no idea who's speaking that day. Understand, it was not a, a day and age where they had social media. If we have a guest speaker coming into DCC, we blow up social media so that, so that you will know, hey, we've got a guest speaker going to be here. She had no idea who was going to be there. there. There was the ruler of the synagogue, the lead pastor of the synagogue. That's probably who she thought was going to be speaking that day. She had no idea who was going to be speaking, but when she gets to church, faithful in going to church on the Sabbath, when she gets to the synagogue that day, the guest speaker is Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking that day. For her, it was just another day. Hunched over, working harder than everybody else to get to the synagogue, working harder than everybody else to get to church. Oh, some of you, some of your excuses for the reason why you don't go to church would make you very shameful if you see what some people have to go through to get to church. But that's not what this is about. I just wanted to take a stab at you, so I did. <laughs> this woman was possibly suffering from what they call BSS, bent spine syndrome, and she could not stand up straight for 18 years of her life. When I was a teenager, there was an old man that went to our church. He, he was a great guy. His name was D.C. Cobb, Brother, Brother D.C. Cobb. And, and he was about this tall. And he was hunched over. Had a big, big hump on his back. I don't know where they get suit coats to, to fit him properly. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I, I always told everybody, and I told him this. He was always good about joking about it. I said, "Man, if they could straighten you up, you'd be six foot eight. But man, he was always, always hunched over. And when he would, when he would walk into church, and 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 and, and he didn't have the the ability to look forward like we do. So when he walked anywhere he went, he would walk. He was staring at the floor. And when he would sense someone getting close to him and I would walk up to him to say hello, he would kind of turn his body like this and he would roll his eyes up as high as he could just so that he could make eye contact with you. It was a chore just to have a conversation with someone. For 18 years, this woman suffered with that. Bent over, but she was faithful in getting 
to church. She didn't let it keep her from going to the house of God. Why? Because she understood this. She needed to be in the right place at the right time. Remember what I told you last week about that? If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's just dangerous. If you're in the right place at the wrong time, it's just frustrating. But if you're in the right place at the right time, it's rewarding. If you find yourself in the right place at the right time, it's rewarding. Now, there is not much that this woman can control in that situation except for one major component, and it's this. She can be at the right place. She just has no idea when the right time is. You can always put yourself in the right place for the blessing of God. From there, it's God's decision on how he wants to heal you and when he wants to heal you. You don't have a choice in the right time, but you always have a choice in making sure that you're in the right place so that when God does show up, then you can get your miracle. I, I, I don't know about you, but that's the importance of coming together with my church family is that I know this is the right place. I know this is where God wants me. On, my, on, on our Sabbath, on, on our Sundays, I want to be in God's house because this is the right place. And when we're in the right place, when God shows up, then, then we're at the right place at the right time and we've got a target on us for a blessing during his sermon Jesus is, is preaching and during his sermon Jesus looks up and and he notices this woman and he stops and he calls her up front and he said you're, you're not gonna have to deal with this much longer and the Bible says he lays hands on her and immediately She's healed and her back straightens. And wouldn't you know it that the lead pastor of the, of the church, the, the, the ruler of the synagogue, wouldn't you know that he would have a problem with it? We've talked about this every, every sermon that, throughout this series. The ruler of the synagogue, the pastor of the church, he has a problem with it because he's more concerned about someone breaking the rules of Sabbath than he is that this woman was just healed of something that held her bound for 18 years. I'll say it again. We've got to learn to celebrate what God is doing in people's lives instead of trying to force the rules down their throats. Jesus, the Bible says, shames him, calls them hypocrites. He shames him by pointing out that he cares more about his ox, more about his donkey than he does for this woman. And then Jesus seems to change the subject. Just as quick as that happens, he just like, like switches gears and changes the subject. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 and 19. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. What? Jesus, what are you talking about? This woman was just, just healed. There's a miracle that just took place. Then someone wanted to question you about working on the Sabbath by healing someone and, and you just told him how, how, how selfish he was in all of this and how inconsiderate he was. You shamed him. And, and now you want to talk about planting a seed and growing a tree and a bird making a nest in the tree? Jesus, why did you change the subject so abruptly? My wife, who is not here today, and if I wanted her to hear what I'm about to say, I would have saved it for next week. But she's not here today, and I would prefer her not finding out what I'm about to say. Some of you are just tattletales. You just like, you're texting her right now. I know you. 
My wife, she has this unique ability to change the subject right in the middle of the conversation. It's amazing. It really is. It's absolutely amazing. Take, for instance, we were riding down the road the other day, and we were discussing where we were going to eat. And I get frustrated sometimes when people are in the car, and I'm like, okay, let's don't talk about anything else until we decide where we're going. Because my family, they can get off on these tangents. And I'm like, I'm driving somewhere. I often say, I'm going to drive to Hawthorne if y'all don't tell me where we're going. I will just keep driving. I, will, I won't stop. I'll just keep going. And eventually you'll, you'll decide where we're going. And so we're talking. We're discussing. And, and she was like, where did you eat lunch? I told her where I ate lunch. She said, well, let's don't go here then. And we're talking about it. And we're, we're throwing out options for restaurants of where we're going to eat. And right in mid-sentence, my wife says, you know she got a new job. <laughs> what? Who are you talking about? The waitress? We haven't even decided what restaurant we're going to yet. And the waitress got a new job. I didn't even get to tip her yet. What, what are you talking about? Anybody else have anyone in your life that does that? So it's not unique to Mandy. It's just unique to women, I guess. So um, there it is. There it is. Mandy's like, I, I'm sorry. I, I, was, I just started talking about something else. Well, you got to give me a heads up. You got to give me a warning. It seems as though Jesus did that. When you're just reading of this situation on this Sabbath, it seems like Jesus just, just switched gears, just, just heads in another di direction all of a sudden, but he didn't. That's the way we read it, but we don't understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish. He is simply teaching us how the woman's healing relates to the kingdom of God. He is showing you Showing me how healing relates to the kingdom of God. You see, in Romans 12 and 3, the Bible says that God has given each of us a measure of faith. You've been given a measure of faith. I've been given a measure of faith. Everybody in this room, you've been given a measure of faith. That's, that's the promise we have from God's word. Now, we don't know how big that faith is. We don't know how much of a measure he emptied out into your life. For some, it may, may be the size of a mustard seed. For others, you, you might have a full-grown watermelon-sized faith over here. I don't know. Each person has been given a measure of faith. I don't know if we all start with the same measure of faith, and, and some grows more rapidly than others according to how you live your life. I have no idea how it works. I do know this, that every person has been given a measure of faith. You've been given a measure of faith. Jesus said one time that all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed and with that faith, you can move mountains. So, so faith is powerful. So if your measure of faith that has been given to you, if it is small, it's, it's more than enough, okay? So you've been given this measure of faith. And so Jesus goes off on this tangent about planting a seed, watching a tree grow, and birds building a nest in the tree. And he says, this is like the kingdom of God. He tells us that there are times when we must take our faith and we plant it. There's three phases to your faith. I'm going to throw them at you really quick. First one is seed time. Seed time. There's always seed time. 
This is when you have to take that measure of faith and you have to plant, no matter how small it is, you have to plant the seed of what little faith you have and you have to plant it in believing, the knowing that God is able to do it. Now, the second part of this is, is a little bit more complicated because it takes a whole lot more endurance because it's, it's easy, much easier to plant the seed of faith and to say, I believe, but it's another thing to walk it out, to, to actually live what you say you believe. And so this is the wait time. You've got the seed time. Now you've got the wait time. And this is what we hate. None of us like going through this because it's during that wait time that you don't see the hand of God moving. It's during the wait time that if, when you start wondering, God, where are you? It's during that wait time that you, you, you honestly believe that God has forsaken you somehow and that God is not concerned with you. As a matter of fact, some of us, we, we, we tend to think, well, God's got so many other things going on. Maybe my situation is not as important as what other people have going on in their lives. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. You see, some people during this, this wait time, they lose faith. They stop believing. Over here, we planted the seed knowing that God was able. But during the wait time, we lose faith. And because of our unbelief, we're not able to enter into his rest. What you have to understand is that you may not see it on the surface, but there are roots growing from that seed and they're growing deep. What's happening below the surface is so significant, even more significant than what's going to happen above the surface. In order for that tree, in order for that plant to grow big, for it to grow tall, it's got to grow deep roots first. And so you've got to believe that what is happening under the surface is greater than what you can see. I've told you this many times, that, that the teacher doesn't, doesn't talk during the test. And this wait time, it's a testing time. You've planted the seed, but it's here that you have to walk it out. And you have to live by faith and not by sight. It's here in this middle of the wait time when, when the enemy is, is telling you there's no hope at all that you've just got to somehow muster up just a little bit of faith and just believe while you stand here in the wait. Because if you stand here, faith-believing in the wait, then you get to harvest time. And this is that moment that we've all been waiting for. Because in the harvest time is when you get your healing. In the harvest time is when your marriage is restored. In the harvest time is when your prodigal children come back to the faith. In the harvest time is when you see God's hand and his miracles begin to be poured out upon your life. This is that moment that you realize that God did not forget about you. That, that, that small seed of faith that you planted here has grown into this bountiful blessing over here. So don't become frustrated with how long it's taking God. I think about Lazarus. Lazarus was sick and his sister sent word to Jesus, his good friend. They knew Jesus could heal him. They send word, your friend Lazarus is sick. Instead of packing his things and, and hitting the road and going straight to Lazarus so that he can heal his sick friend, the Bible says that he waited two days before he ever packed up and started walking that direction. By the time he gets to Bethany where his friend is, is, is sick, by the time he gets there, he's been dead four days. Do you think that Jesus, the Son of God, was concerned with how long this guy's been dead? Lazarus, come forth. And he comes walking out of the tomb. You think about the woman with the issue of blood. She struggled for 12 years 
For 12 years, this woman has been bleeding. Do you think 12 years bothers Jesus at all? He didn't even have to say anything. She reached out, touched the hem of his garment, and was healed. 12 years of suffering comes to an end. Think about the man at the pool of Bethesda. We read about him earlier in this series. He was crippled for 38 years of his life. Crippled. Jesus comes by the pool, tells the man, do you want to be healed? Yes, I want to be healed. Take up your mat and walk. And 38 years of suffering comes to an end. Another Sabbath miracle. There was a man at the pool of Siloam. He is blind since birth. His disciples ask him, whose fault is it? Is it his parents? Did they sin? Is that the reason he's blind? Is it his sin? Who's responsible for this? Jesus said, no, this is so that that God can be glorified. He heals this man that has been struggling since birth. He could not see since the day he was born. Do you think that bothered Jesus at all? No. It's being in the right place at the right time, in the crosshairs of a blessing, saying, God, here I am, bless me. But the one thing that you don't hear after their healings You don't hear them complaining about, God, what took you so long? No one ever thinks like that after they're healed. No. They're just all so thankful to be healed that they lose sense of time. It doesn't matter that I was struggling for 38 years, 18 years, 12 years for my entire life. It doesn't matter. Because at the moment you experience the miracle of God working in your life, you forget all that stuff. You lose sense of time. Time, it it has no importance to you anymore because it's in that moment that you recognize that the God of the universe loves you so much that he brought healing to your life. One of the toughest parts about our construction process takes place every Friday. This has been happening for years, even before we started, started building Because every Friday, me and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Scott, we we come into this room right here, and we set up the stage. Now, we don't do anything out there. We have a wonderful setup and teardown team that handles all of that. But we come in every Friday, and we set up the stage. And we have these two cases of, of cables Actually, there's, there's four cases of cables now. There's four cases, and we, we open them up. And I, I'm always like standing right here, and I just I look at those cables, and it, it always goes through my mind. I'm like, man, is this ever going to end? We've been portable for almost 11 years. And I look at it, and I'm like, is it ever going to end? God, where are you? It's frustrating to me. And, and in a moment of transparency, I'll just tell you, I had one of those moments this week because throughout the summer, we're allowed to stay set up. For most of the summer, we, we stay set up in here. And so it, it's, it's just a welcome break that we need. But the week before last, I got a phone call from the school. One of the administrators said, listen, we're, we're doing an, hiring an outside source to come in and, and re-wax all of the floors in, in this room, in this building, and in two other buildings. And they need to do it on Friday. And so I, uh, I tried my best to talk them out of it. Can you push it back one week? I did. I said, can you push it back one week? It'll help us out so much. And they said, we just can't do it. With the teachers coming back, we need to make sure it's done. So we need you to tear down. 
man, as, as just a, a gift of grace, Pastor Scott and, and Nikki, they had the, the drama team here on, on Wednesday night, and, and they were practicing before they head out to, to Tennessee. And thankfully, they came in here, and they tore down all the chairs and all the signage and all that stuff. All that stuff was put away. Man, we were in good shape. Me and Pastor Andrew, we had already planned on coming back on Saturday so that we could give the, the setup team, continue to give them a month of Sabbath, and we were going to come in here and set up chairs and signage and all that kind of stuff. And so I look over here on Friday, the day that they're supposed to be here re-waxing the floors. And there's never a, 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 a work truck or a crew or anybody here. So finally, and I, I called the, the administrator and I said, hey, you know, I actually sent a text and said, hey, what's going on? Are they still re-waxing the floors? It took a little while and that's when I got nervous. And the text came back, oh, they canceled. I haven't cussed. I wanted to, but I did not cuss. I will not start today. Friday, Pastor Andrew and I, we came back in here to set everything back up. Scott had a lot of stuff going on, so we didn't even tell him. I didn't have the, the heart to break it to him that they tore down for no reason. He walked in this morning, looked at the floors, and realized they have not been rewaxed. We came in here Friday, and we set up all of the chairs and all the tables and signage and all that stuff, got everything put back in its place for no reason at all. The chairs look good, don't they? <laughs> it takes you a little bit longer when you're OCD, by the way, of making sure everything's straightened up. Don't, don't. <laughs> I won't be able to finish. Yeah, there's, there's jerks in every service, because somebody did that. <laughs> First service, too. The whole time we're setting out these chairs, I know Pastor Andrew got tired. I, I was complaining the entire time. I, did, I just, there was no grace, no mercy at all. I was like, this stupid school. That's, that contractor, they should have been here. They should have notified someone. If, I should not have to call them. I should not have to text them. They should have let me know that they canceled. And I just, the whole time. I, mean, I had a sour attitude. It didn't get any better. I just left. Now, do you think when they hand us the keys to that new building, and it's going up quick, isn't it? Finally, finally. When they hand us the keys to that new building and I'm sitting in my new office, do you think I'm going to lose one second of sleep over having to set up and tear down all these years? When we're in that new sanctuary, that we control the AC and it's never too hot and it's never too cold. It's always perfect. <laughs> Do you think we're going to complain for one second that we had to meet for all those years in the Panther Palace? <laughs> no, because it's not the way it works. When God brings deliverance, when God works a miracle in your life, when God brings healing in your life, you don't lose sleep over what once bothered you anymore. No, you recognize the blessing and you move forward from there. That's the way it works. <laughs> Lazarus didn't come out of the tomb and say, Jesus, what took you so long? Doesn't work like that. The woman didn't stand up straight and say, well, it's about time. 18 years is a long time, Jesus. No, no one thinks like that because you lose sense of time. Because in eternity... 
Understand this. That's where God exists. In eternity, there are no watches. There's no clocks. There are no calendars. The concept of time does not exist in eternity. It's not something that's going to come. It's already here. It has been. And it is going to be forever. God does not operate in time. Time operates in God. God is not bound by time. Time is bound by God. God does not exist in time. Time exists in God. God does not exist in July the 28th, 2019. July the 28th, 2019. It exists in God because this is the Lord's day. This is His Sabbath. And whatever God wants to do in your life on this day, in this moment, it doesn't matter how many years you've been struggling with it. When you're in the right place, at the right time God just works miracles I, I wholeheartedly believe this and, and I want the praise team to come I need to get out of here but I wholeheartedly believe that it is less about keeping the Sabbath outwardly as it is about keeping the Sabbath inwardly The greatest success in my life is when I've allowed the Sabbath to take root inside of me. Listen, keeping the Sabbath is not to impress you. Keeping the Sabbath is about keeping the Sabbath inside of me. That it becomes part of my mindset. Sabbath is not bound to a day. That's legalism. Sabbath exists throughout eternity. Sabbath is about waking up every day and realizing that your God can. That no matter how long it's been, no matter how long the struggle has haunted you, Sabbath is that mindset of just knowing that my God is able. In Hebrews 4 9, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for you. Amen? There's a Sabbath rest that remains for me. There remains a Sabbath rest. Your eternal reward does not rest in how much work you have done. Your, re your eternal reward rests on how much you allow the Lord to work in you. That's what your eternal reward is about. A true Sabbath is dependent on Him. Sabbath rests. The peace. It's trusting God in the waiting. It's trusting God after you've planted the seed of faith and you're believing for the bountiful harvest. The only way you make it through that wait time is just understanding that God's got this. And so whatever it is, no matter what you're going through, God's got this. Shabbat Shalom. May the peace of Sabbath be with you.
Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.